How we doing, Fun PM? You guys doing good today? If you're new to 1 p.m., we just like, hey, let's not call 1 p.m., let's call Fun PM because this is the best group of people in the room today for sure. So we're glad you guys are here. Are you glad to be here, church? Awesome. Well, hey, if you have your Bible and ask you to turn to John chapter 8, John chapter 8, and we're going to go there in a few minutes. John chapter 8. And uh, before we dive in, we are, as uh, Pastor Jared said, we are in the series uh, running in circles. And before we dive into part three today, I got to give a big shout out to my bride who brought it last week. Lisa, what a great word. Hey, she knocked it out of the park like Jorge Soler when the World Series is boom, just all gone, dropped the bat, pumped his chest and walked around. By the way, when he hit that, I knew the game was over. How about them Braves, everybody? Excited that we got that going. And I tell you, it is so cool. So I'm a Bama boy. I think most of you guys have, have heard that before. And, and uh, so in Bama, we pull for Atlanta sports. And I just got to say this, being an Atlanta fan, no matter what the sport, it's not good for the heart. I, I just, you know, like it, it'd take you to, to prayer and fasting and, and every, I'm kidding. But I mean, it's man, I'm not, and I'm, I'm not even mentioning the Falcons. Good Lord, God help us. But, uh, but anyway, but we're so, it was so cool to see what happened this past week, but I'm glad it's over church. I was losing sleep. Come on. We're going to bed way too late, losing sleep, watching these games. These games that started at 8.15, they are no good for you the next day. But, uh, but I am glad you're here today. And hey, we got an extra hour of sleep. So did you get it? Did you feel it? So I'm like, yeah, I, I feel it. But no, it, it felt good. I went to bed. So I, I kind of, we were intentional. We went to bed at 10. So that's really nine. So we got a good nine hours of sleep. So come on, somebody. So, uh, you know, they say you go to bed earlier, you get it, you feel it better. So it was good this morning for sure. But, uh, but anyway, I want to pray, and we're going to dive right into part three of Running in Circles. Father, uh, one more time, help me, Holy Spirit, to preach your word to these beautiful people in this room today. And we thank you, Lord. We silence all the noise of the very real stuff that's calling our name. Lord God, we silence the distractions so we can hear from you. And Holy Spirit, I ask you to help me speak. In Jesus' name I pray. Everybody said, amen. Hey, if you're taking notes, and I encourage you to do so, the title of my message is Confronting Compromise. Confronting Compromise. And somebody's like, oh, we're going to go there today. And the answer is yes. Somebody look to your neighbor and say, buckle up your seatbelt. Confronting Compromise. So we're, we're on this journey, right? Somebody say journey. I'm going to have you talk back to me here and there. We're on this journey that it's not just about this five-week series that we're in, today being part three, but it's life, the journey of getting more healed, the journey of getting more freed up, the journey of being liberated in God. Amen? It's the will of God for none of us to be bound. It's the will of God for none of us to have strongholds. It's the will of God for us to be free. Somebody say free. Free. And healed. And so that's the God. That's what God has for us. But we've been looking at this series of running in circles, all right? And, and Johnson, Pastor Johnson, did a phenomenal job, a masterful job. I've, I've heard a thousand messages on the woman at the well. And man, where he went and the picture he gave us was so beautiful of Jesus' intentionality with this lady, uh, the woman at the well, and his time with her and his tenderness with her and his care that he gave to her. And of course, we know that her life was altered forever. And not only that, the town that she lived in, life-changing experience. And then, like I said, my anointed and beautiful wife brought the word last week, and she asked a question to us, do you want to be healed? It's a question that Jesus asked a lame man who had been lame for 38 stinking long years. That, that's a long time, people, 38 years. Um, I would immediately said, yes, if, when he asked that question, do you want to be healed? But his response was, well, the pool, I can't get to the pool and all that. And Jesus commands this man, literally, and at that moment, his very bad atrophy legs literally became full of muscle and blood and life. 
And that, the Bible says he jumped up, he grabbed his bed, and he walked right out of that place that was surrounded by invalids, people with sickness and disease all around him. He was one of them. And because of Jesus, come on, somebody say Jesus. Jesus. We just sang about it. He, he changes everything, right? And so he changed that man's life forever. And I keep, I keep saying this because I, I keep thinking about it. Think about that man who was on the ground for 38 years. His perspective was always looking up. Now he's healed and he's walking, he's moving forward, come on somebody, and his perspective has totally changed. He's no longer looking up, help me. Now he's walking with his two feet, moving forward in life and his perspective is looking beyond to the horizon. He sees things he's never seen before. Jesus, when I say he changes everything, when, it come, when you drill down on it, he even changes the way we see things. He changes the way we think about things. Jesus changes everything. What I want to do now is I want to go back to that uh, message and tell you the end of the story. Because it's a little interesting to me uh, of what happens at the end of the story. Now, you stay in John 8. We're going to go there in just a few minutes. But at the end of the story, found in John 5, the man who was healed... Jesus sees him later. He kind of comes upon him. How many people know there is no such thing as coincidence with God? So when Jesus sees this man who is healed, I mean, he's walking around in the temple. Who knows? Maybe he, he never could get to the temple and he's walking around like, oh my gosh, this is incredible. He's walking around and Jesus, they have an interaction. But the language of Jesus is different. And that's what we're going to look at today of how Jesus is intentional with his language and what we need to hear and when we need to hear it. So let's look at it together on the screens. It says, later Jesus found him at the temple. Who's him? The man that was healed, who was lame and now healed. Uh, and said to him, see, you are well again. Another translation says, you look wonderful. You look great. You're well. I mean, they're just, you know, they're just kind of walking up. Hey, man, how's those legs feeling? Man, they feel good, Jesus. You know, this is the guy like, oh my gosh, this, you're the guy that healed me. He's like, you look great. You look well. But then it doesn't stop there. And this is what brings a little curiosity and what we're going to drill it down on today. He says this, see, you are well again. Then he says, stop sinning. Stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. Somebody say stop. Stop, stop sinning. <laughs> Jesus is saying to him, man, you look great. You look well. But he is saying to this man, hey, you need, he wasn't telling him to be perfect because none of us will ever be perfect. But he's saying, I want you to stop this compromising lifestyle that you've been living or something worse is going to happen to you. Stop. One translation says it like this. Uh, don't return to that sinning, compromising life. Stop. Somebody say stop. stop. Can I tell you that when God tells us to stop, it's always from a place of love? Yes. I want to say that again so you can get it in your heart. Because some people see this sign, they're like, that's not God. Actually, this is God. A lot of times we need to be told stop because we are moving in the wrong direction. Hello, anybody been there before? Thank God for his stop signs. Thank God for his yield signs. Slow down. Slow down, son. You're going a little too fast in life. Thank God for the green lights where he says, go. I'm blessing this. Go, move forward in that. So he gives us. These, these signs, and they're all from love. I mean, come on, people, let's be real. We all love the green lights, right? You're, especially when you're running late. I, don't, I, 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 I know this is selfish, but I pray when I leave on Sunday morning, I'm like, Lord, give me all green lights so I can get to church on time. And, uh, and, you know, and it's great. And when it happens, I'm like, yes. And when it doesn't happen, I'm like, oh. And I got this thought in my head like, well, you know, maybe he's protecting me from something. I don't know. You know, trying to make it positive. But, but here's what I know. When we do get the stop signs of God, when we do get the, hey, whoa, 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 that's love. And he's telling us that for a reason. I want to give you a similar story. You're already there. Look at John chapter 8. John chapter 8, just a few verses here. Very popular story. 
Y'all still with me? John chapter 8, look at verse 3. This is about the woman who was caught in adultery. And it says, as soon as he was speaking, who's he? Jesus. As soon as he was speaking, the teachers of religious law and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in the act of adultery. Can I just ask you a question? Like, how, how, how did that happen? I was just like, how did, how did they... It just, it just got me thinking, like, how did, this, how did this happen? So anyway, somehow, someway, they catch this woman in adultery. Who knows? It could have been one of the ones that won the stoner. But, and it says this, that they called her in the act of adultery, and they said, um, teacher, and they put her in front of the crowd. Verse 4, I'm sorry. Teacher, they said to Jesus, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. The law of Moses says to stone her, what do you say? And I'll stop for a moment just to say they're getting ready to try to trap him. I do find it interesting that they only, she's embarrassed enough. She was just caught in the act of adultery. But you know what they do? They put her in front of everybody. That's like me bringing a stranger out and say, hey, introduce yourself. And you're like, oh my gosh, how nervous. But th- this is even worse. She was caught in adultery and they bring her out in front of everybody to ridicule her, to embarrass her, to belittle her, and eventually to stone her because that actually was law. At that time, if someone was caught in adult- adultery, They would be stoned to death. So these men had rocks and hands ready to go. But let's look what happened. Verse 6, they were trying to trap him into saying something they could use against him. But Jesus stooped down and wrote in the dirt, wrote in the dust with his finger. They kept demanding an answer. Come on, Jesus. Come on, we're going to stone her. Come on. They kept demanding an answer. So he stood up again and said, all right, But let the one who has never sinned throw the first stone. Let the one who has never sinned throw the first stone. And I can guarantee you they did not think that was going to come from Jesus. They're like, whoa, what? And then it says, we get get a picture. Then he stoops down again and wrote in the dust. Have you ever wondered what he was writing in the dust? Some theologians say he was writing all the men's names that were wanting to stone him with their secret sins. We don't know. We'll never know until we get to heaven what he actually was writing. But he was writing something in the dirt. So he stoops back down and starts writing. And then the scriptures say, look at this. It says, when the accusers, those who were about to stone her, heard this, they slipped away one by one. That wording, they're like, oh, man. Notice how public they wanted to take her out? And then they just slip away. They're embarrassed because they know. They know they got their own sins and their own stuff they're dealing with. They slip away. One by one, beginning with the oldest, until only Jesus was left in the middle of the crowd with the woman. Can you see that picture right there? There she is. And then there's Jesus. Then Jesus stood up again and said to the woman, where are your accusers? Didn't even even one of them condemn you? And she responds, no, Lord. And before I tell you the last sentence, this woman had probably seen other stonings. And they, they have said this is true, that a lot of times when they would get stoned, people would turn their, they would creep down and kind of get their back to them, knowing that the, the most of the, the rocks and stuff, the stones were going to be hitting them. And she had to be in some form or fashion, creep down, ready, just waiting to be stoned, waiting to be killed. And I can see, I'm a picture person, I can see Jesus coming to her and lifting her chin up and saying, where are your condemners? There's none. And she's like, there's There's none. And then look what Jesus says to her. He says, and Jesus said, neither do I condemn you. Go, come on, read it with me. Go and sin no more. Jesus is telling her, hey, there's no one here to condemn you. I don't condemn you. And I want you to go into this new life moving forward, but don't repeat the same old lifestyle that got you here. He's telling us right here, he's saying, stop. He's saying to her, stop. Don't go down this road. This road leads to death spiritually. And of course, at that time, even physically. Come on, say it with me. Say stop. Stop. Telling you, stop. He's telling us to stop. And I, I just love the language here because he gives her grace and truth wrapped in love. He gives her grace. There's no condemnation. And let me just stop for a second and say this. From the front here to the back, all to the sides. 
If your heart, if you belong to Jesus Christ, there is no condemnation for you. There is no shame. There is no guilt. None of that stuff. That stuff is from the pit of hell. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And that's what he says to her. No one's here to condemn you. I don't even condemn you. The creator speaking to his creation. I don't condemn you. But it doesn't stop there. He says, go and sin no more. Again, knowing she's not going to be, it's not about perfection. It's about don't, please don't go back into that compromising, habitual lifestyle. Or something worse is going to happen to you. He's saying stop. Somebody say stop. He sees her. You're going to go forward in life. And we see this with the woman at the well. Let's go back to her for a moment. Grace and truth. Hey, look up at me for a second. What if Jesus would have said to the woman at the well, the first thing, what about the first thing, his first interaction? Hey, you've been with five men, five husbands, and the man you're with right now is not your husband. What if that had been the first thing he said to her? Like all of us, she might have got mad, embarrassed, and took off. But Jesus took her time. He gave her what she needed in that moment. And then later he said to her, no, you're right. You've had five husbands and the one you're with is not your husband. And so, and her life has changed forever. He had tenderness there and yet he also spoke, it, he spoke truth, a hard truth. All right, right there. He called her out. I don't know about you, but I love it when God calls me out. Can I tell you when God calls us out, it is love. When God says, stop doing this, whatever it is, it's love. It's birth from a place of love. I'm thinking about um, the rich young ruler. Remember the rich young ruler? So the rich young ruler comes to Jesus and he says, and it looks like it's a really honest, valid question. What must I do to have eternal life? And Jesus has a beautiful conversation with him. And he says, hey, go do these commandments. And the response of the rich young ruler, what does he say to him? He's like, I've done all these commandments. And Jesus says to him something because he knew his heart. He knew what was on the throne of his heart. Jesus said, hey, here's what I want you to do. Go sell everything you have and give to the poor and follow me. And the rich young ruler, the Bible says he walked away dejected because he had a love of money. He had money on the throne of his heart. The way Jesus, so we can look at that and go, man, Jesus being mean. No, Jesus was speaking, speaking to his heart. He knows the issues of our heart. I'm thinking of another guy, another rich uh, guy that was very, very wealthy, actually, by the wrong way, Zacchaeus. You might remember Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus was a wee little man, was a wee little man, was he, up in that little sycamore tree. And yes, I'm showing my age in Sunday school back in the day. Anybody remember any of that? Okay, four of us, praise God, high five in the air. Woo! All right. Zacchaeus, he was a tax collector and he was cheating. He was taking more. I would not like to be the people that he was taking it from, but he was taking more money than he should have. And Jesus has an interaction with him in his home and they eat dinner together. And we don't know how that conversation goes, but we know how it ended. The rich man tells Jesus, I'm going to give back and I'm going to give double. His whole life changed. Jesus knows what we need to hear. Right here on the screen. Jesus knows exactly what we need to hear when we need to hear it. He gives us grace. He gives us truth, even if we don't like to hear it. And it's sandwiched up in love. It's wrapped up in love. Can I tell you what? If you've ever had a friend, a real friend, tell you something that hurt here, but you knew you needed to hear it. Anybody ever had that before? That's a good friend, by the way. A good friend that will tell you the truth and they do it in love and they do it honoring, but they tell you the truth. We know that truth heals, truth liberates, truth is freeing. And so a person does that type of conversation because they love you. And so that's the, that's the father that we serve. That's the God that we serve. And let me just tell you this. Sometimes Jesus will come as a whisper because that's what you or I need in that moment. And other times he will come as a shout that might startle you to get your attention, especially if you're caught up in things that you shouldn't be caught up in. Sometimes we need a shout, because come on, if you're like me, sometimes we can be a little stubborn. And so Jesus will give a shout or he'll give a whisper, but can I tell you, whether it's a whisper or whether it's a shout, it's always love. 
He's not some old man in the sky that wants to beat you down on all your problems. No, he reaches down with his loving arms and says, hey, you got to stop this. And you know what? He could make us do it, but he reaches down and says, come on, choose me. Don't choose this stuff anymore. Choose me. Stop this compromising habitual life. Choose me and I will set you free. That's the God we serve. Amen? Amen. And so we got to recognize that we need sometimes the whispers and we need the shouts. Now, I want to tell you just a little bit of my story. So I got saved at 12 years old at summer camp. Come on, summer camp. Anybody have some good summer camp experiences? All right. Two of us. The numbers are decreasing quickly. Um, So I I love summer camp. So anyway, uh, I got saved at summer camp at 14. Don't tell me young people can't hear the Lord. At 14 years old, I knew I was called to be a pastor. Don't tell me how I knew, but I told my parents I told my brothers, I told my close friends, like, I I think God's called me to be a pastor. I didn't even know what to do with it, but I just, I heard clearly that God had called me to be a pastor. And I've done that for 25 years now, by the grace of God. And so, but sadly at 15, I turned away from God and rebelled for almost right at five years. At 19 years old, at 19 years old, the Lord arrested my heart. That's all I can tell you, man. He arrested me. And by the grace of God, I've never looked back. But, but, there was a part of my life that I was still running from God. I was scared of the call. I was scared of being a pastor. And I could go all into that, but I don't want to bore you with the details. But I was running from God. I was doing a Jonah. Anybody done a Jonah before? I know there's going to be more hands than three on that. All right. We've all, you know what a Jonah is, right? You know what God's calling you to do, but you don't do it out of stubbornness or fear. And so I was, I was doing Jonah well. Uh, and so I was doing the Jonah thing and I was running and I found myself, guys, I know I'm a Bama boy, Crimson Tide fan, but I found myself in Auburn, Alabama, God forsaken Auburn, Alabama. And I was there because they had a major that I was like, I'm just going to do this. I'm not going to be a pastor. I'm going to do this. And I was going to this major called recreation sport management. And I'll never forget it. It was a Tuesday night at eight 30. This was my shout. I needed a shout because I was being really stubborn. We had just got a lab. And if you've ever taken night classes, you are so ready to get out of there when you're done. Oh my gosh. It's like, where are you, God? You know? And so I remember it was 8.30, we're, that line of cars pulling out of the campus. And I got about a 15-minute drive to meet my roommates at a pizza place, one of our favorite places to go. And somewhere between the campus parking lot and the pizza place, the Lord showed up in my Mustang. By the way, I had a 1986 Mustang LX, pearl black with a little gray pinstripe on there. I'm having a moment. Okay, just just go with me on this. And uh, boy, I love that car. We had that car when we were dating and uh, I made the mistakes. Parents, please listen to me. Listen to me. Parents, make sure, tell your kids not to let anyone borrow your car. Do I need to tell you the end of that story? That car never came back. I had a college roommate that borrowed it totaled it. So yeah, I know I need healing still. And, and so anyway, back to the Mustang college coming home from lab, God shows up in my Mustang. All I can tell you is I would probably say to you, I heard the audible voice of the Lord. I don't know, but it was so loud that I felt like it came from my surround, my, my, my stereo system in my car. And I thought it was my father. And It scared me so bad because of these words. I would have loved to heard these kinds of words. You are my son and I am well pleased. I I, I did not hear that. I heard this very clearly. To this day, I'll never, ever forget it. It's my way or your way. Choose. And the moment those words that reverberated in my car... I began weeping on the spot. I knew I was running from God. I was compromising on my call. I was being stubborn and being disobedient, and I was justifying it. And I immediately, I can't even tell you how fast, people behind me had to think I was drunk, like, what's Frith doing? They called me Frith back in college. What is Frith doing? You know? And I just pulled over and parked on the side of the road for what felt like hours and wept like a baby. 
Now, I want to tell you, I'm a crier. Don't go to movies with me because if I'm sitting next to you, I'm, I'm just a mess, all right? Especially if it's a sad story. Lisa's a crier, and she gets embarrassed when I start crying. That's how bad it is, you know? So I'm like, oh, <laughs> you know? I've choked on popcorn because I'm crying so bad, all right? And so, but I mean, I wept, and I've never wept like that before. I wept, and I wept, and I wept. And as I was weeping, the Lord was ripping something out of me, and it was called rebellion. And he confronted me. I didn't need a whisper. I needed a stop sign. I needed him to say in my car, son, listen up. I can't tell you. I've, asked, I've had people ask me, what do you think would have happened if you'd have done? It would have not been good if I'd have kept going down that road. In his grace and mercy, I'm so thankful. I'm going to tell you what, that is what Chris Frith needed in 1993 coming home from college. That was a trajectory of my life. Everything changed as I wept. And when I got home and I told my roommates and they rallied, my shirt was soaked and they rallied around me and prayed for me. And I called my father and told him what what God did. He almost fainted because they've been praying for me like, oh God, get this boy's attention. Like parents, don't give up on praying for that one that's running. He hears those prayers. Grandma, don't you dare give up. You keep praying. God hears those prayers. And so once he got off the ground again, like, you know, my dad was almost fainting. And literally everything started falling into place. I met her. I got baptized in the Holy Spirit. I got mentored for the first time in my life. Everything changed because I finally surrendered to the Lord. But it took a stop sign in my life. It took a shout. And I'm here to tell you, if he gives you a shout, it's because he loves you. If he gives you a whisper, it's because he loves you. Either way, it's all love. If he corrects you, it's because he loves you. If he calls you out and says, hey, you need to get off the computer for a while. You're getting too loose with your eyes. If he calls you out, that is love right there. Whatever it is, it's always love. Amen? The Holy Spirit, listen to me, church. He has no problem calling us out on the carpet. We're his. We're his. We are called the temple of the Holy Spirit. He has no problem. Let me say it to you like this. The same Jesus who showed such tenderness with individuals is the same Jesus who flipped tables and called people to repent. I'm going to say that again. The same Jesus that took time. Remember her? Took so much time. So tender. That was the same Jesus that was flipping tables and saying, repent for the kingdom of God is here. It's the same God. And he knows what we all need to hear when we need to hear it. This philosophy that people have bought into that you're always supposed to be happy and that God will only say happy things to you, that is a lie. Can I just tell you, there's no such thing about happy. It's called being a joyful Christian. The joy of the Lord is your strength. Happiness is an emotion. It comes and goes and how your day goes. Joy comes from the Lord. The joy of him is our strength. Sometimes God will tell you and I hard things, but it's in love and you can still have joy because you can see the end. Like God you care enough for me to call me out, to love on me, to correct me because you don't want me going down that road. Thank you. And you'll have this joy of gratitude come out on you. Are you with me, church? That's what I'm talking about. And listen, the same way that Jesus treats us is the way we should treat each other. I won't say that again because we need a whole bunch more compassion in the world. The same way Jesus treats me is the way I should treat others. I want to give you some biblical backing on that. Jude chapter 1. Look right here on the screen. He says this in verse 22 and 23. Keep being compassionate. Somebody say compassionate. But look what he says here. He gives us a balancing statement. Keep being compassionate to those who still have doubts. And snatch others. Somebody say snatch and snatch, not snitch, snatch, snatch others out of the fire to save them. Now, do you see? One is compassionate. Man, my friend is struggling. I'm not here to judge him. He's hurting. She's hurting. I'm going to show him compassion because God showed me compassion. Others, we need to snatch them out of the fire before they have a wreck. Let me just give you this example, then I'll finish the verse. What parent in their right mind is going to let their kid run out in the yard and just go, well, we'll just see what happens? No. The parent, and we've been there before, we will run like mad people yelling, stop. 
because we don't want them. We know we can see what's coming. They're like living in a little kid world, you know, just, they're just running, having fun. But we know the father knows church. The father sees and that's why he says, stop. And sometimes we need to get snatched. I don't know about you, but I am glad he has snatched me out of the fire. Snatch us out of the fire. He says, be compassionate and snatch us out of the fire to save them. Look at this. Be merciful over and over to them, but always couple your mercy with the fear of God. Be extremely careful to keep yourselves from the pollutions of the flesh. I want to say this one thing real quick on the snatch part. Pastor Mo and Pastor Kendra from Midtown, great people. They have become friends. Pastor Mo told me a story. Him and I uh, were praying together yesterday, and he said, Chris, I almost drowned at 10 years old. I'm like, what? And he said that, like we all do when we're kids at the swimming pool, right? And if you're not a good swimmer, he said, I, my, I knew it. My parents taught me, don't go in the deep end. Don't go near the deep end. But what do we all do? We want to get to the deep end. And if you can imagine, this is a deep end. He said, I was playing. I'd get closer and closer. And you know how it kind of just goes off the little slope? It slows off. He said, I get closer and closer to the slope. Anybody been there before? I know I did. Because come on, let's be real. You can only have so much fun the shallow end. We need to go to the deep end. And so Mo, Pastor Mo said, he's like, one day I got over there and he slipped. He slipped down the slope. And, he, and because he couldn't swim real well, he started choking immediately, taking in water. Just up, up, and went down all the way. He said, I went right down to the bottom. And he said, he scared him to death, like just taking in water, choking on water and just not seeing anything. And literally he said, things started going dark. And he said, a man jumped in, lifeguard, jumped in, snatched him right out. And like within seconds, got him out and he was fine afterward. I had to work a little water out of him, but he was fine. And that, I thought of that picture and Pastor Mo and I were just talking back and forth, kind of preaching to each other. Preachers are good at that. And, and, and he was like, he said, I did not need the lifeguard to sit up on his little chair and go, hey, are you drowning? You look a little blue. Are you, are you good? Oh, he's good. No, he said, I need that lifeguard to jump in and snatch me out. I was drowning. Can I tell you 1 p.m.? When we're drowning, we need someone to give us a lifeline and pull us out. And that's Jesus. But here's what I want to say to you. We don't have to get to the point of drowning. Compromise, compromise. Small compromises become big compromises that become a fall or become drowning. We got to nip the small compromises with the help of the Holy Spirit and surrender that to God so it doesn't become a big fall. Are you with me? Before we close, we're going to drill down on this, so stay with me. When it comes to confronting compromise, I'll say this. I don't know anyone, I've never met anyone, that likes confrontation. If you like confrontation, like, I love confrontation. Like, can I just say, I think you're possi possibly a little sick in the head. <laughs> you know, like, oh, I just want to confront somebody. Hey, we need to pray for you, you know. I don't like confrontation, but here's what I know. I'm not afraid of it because I, the Lord showed me years back that confrontation is really the ministry of reconciliation. You're with a friend. Things are worse. Here's the deal. Here's what happens a lot of times. Because people avoid it at all costs, that relationship, because you don't have that courageous, honoring, loving conversation, it gets worse and worse. I, I know family members, literally, that don't talk to each other, and it's gotten worse and worse because they wouldn't sit down and just have a God-honoring conversation, even if you have to walk away to agree to disagree. And so things get worse. Can I tell you, sin left alone and undressed, it gets worse. It spreads like a disease. Sin will spread. It starts with small compromises, and it goes to big compromises if not dealt with. And we, we justify it, and we, we just kind of like, we, we don't go there and and we don't deal with it and confront it with the help of the, of the healer, our whole, the Holy Spirit. And so we got to recognize and understand when we do that, when we leave sin alone, it is like poison dripping in your soul. That was a picture the Lord showed me, like a faucet that you just can't clearly turn off. It just drips, drips. When you have habitual compromising sin, it's like poison dripping in your soul. Like, Pastor, what are you talking about? Well, sin leads to death. 
There's tons of scriptures I could give you. I'll give you the most popular one. We all know this one. Romans 6, 23. For the wages of sin, come on, say it with me, is death. death. Okay. But aren't you glad that's not the end of the sentence? But the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus. We've got to understand and recognize that there is a road to death and there is a road to life and right in the middle is choice. What road, what path are we gonna choose? One leads to life and the favor and the grace of God and one leads to death. And so we've gotta recognize that and listen to me church, the enemy, and we do have an enemy by the way, John 10 tells us he comes only to steal, kill and destroy. The enemy is never like, come on, you got this. No, he only comes to steal, kill, and destroy. We better not believe and buy into the lie that it's just my sin and it affects no one else. This is just my struggle. Hey, let's, let's call it what it is. It's not a struggle. It's sin. Jesus calls it sin. A lot, we, I hear that word a lot, like, you know, I'm just struggling. and it's, I, I get it. We all struggle. But let's call it what it really is. Let's call it what God calls it. It's sin, and it grieves the heart of God, and I need to get this right in my life. I need, I need to get it right with God. Amen? The enemy will continue. I mean, he would love for you to play games with your sin. Pastor Johnson has said this through the years. He says, while you're playing patty cake with sin, the devil is playing Russian roulette with your soul. I'll say that again. While you're playing patty cake, remember that? Patty cake, patty cake. While you're playing patty cake, games with sin, the devil is playing Russian roulette with your soul. We gotta, we gotta play the movie forward. We gotta recognize and understand the small compromises, if we don't stop there, they become bigger. They become worse. And we've gotta recognize and understand that what was a molehill or a little anthill will become a mountain if we don't deal with that and confront it with the help of the Holy Spirit. Who wants to heal us and liberate us from it? Listen, there is no problem that God could not solve. There is nothing that he cannot snatch you out of. There is nothing that he cannot rescue us rescue us from. I'm so thankful for that. But we've got to understand and play the movie forward of what we're doing now will become worse later if we don't stop. Romans 6, 16, look on the screen real quick. It says, don't you realize that you become a slave of whatever you choose to obey? You can be a slave to sin, which leads to, come on, say it with me, death, or you can choose, there's that word, or you can choose to obey God which leads to righteous living. Listen to this quote before we get ready to come out to a close here. Stay with me. Pastor Greg Laurie says this. This blew me away the other day. He says, if you look at the times in your life when you've fallen into sin, you could probably trace it back to a series of missteps, small compromises you made that led to bigger compromises that eventually led to your fall. Small compromises over here that on a journey that God wants us to be healed from, if we don't deal with those and confront it with the help of the Holy Spirit, they become bigger and bigger in our life. So basically this, the journey to I never, to I did, is made up of small steps, each one a compromise. I want to say it like this again. The journey There's that word again, the journey. The journey to I'd never. So over here, I'd never. I would never have an affair. I would never, I'm just trying to think of big things. I would never cheat on my taxes. I would never, you put it there, fill in the blank. What we would call the big stuff. I would never become an alcoholic. I would never do that. But the small compromises, the journey from I'd never to I did is made up of small steps, each one a compromise. And what I like to say is, God, get in the middle of all that and rescue my soul. Get in the middle of that and help me stop this, whatever it is. And can I just tell you, if you are caught in a trap, if you are caught in compromise, there is only one who can stop that. There's only one who can heal you from that, and it's Jesus Christ. And we've got to look to him in that hour of we find ourselves caught in compromise. 
I'll give you one biblical example, King Solomon, one of my heroes. Think about King Solomon. So he is the wisest king who ever lived. He's also the richest and most wealthiest king who ever lived. God loves Solomon. Oh my goodness, if you look at the beginning days of King Solomon, they had such a rich relationship. Solomon, his heart, the Bible says, pleased the Lord. This was David's son, the next king after David. But Solomon started making small compromises that became bigger compromises. And get this, if you don't know the story, the end is really sad. Solomon in his old age, the Bible says, he willfully turned away from God, even to the point of worshiping other idols. A man who was close with God, who was an incredible king, who loved God, and God loved him even in his mess, but he turned away from God, willfully turned away from God. This, and this is King Solomon, and it all started. And I like to think if King Solomon in his old age could go back to young King Solomon and just want to, listen to me, man, don't do this. Don't go down that road. It leads to misery and pain and destruction. I can see old King Solomon just telling young Solomon, don't go there. Don't go down this road. And can I tell you what? That's what God says to us in his love. God Almighty powerful, could stop us in our tracks, but he gives us the power of choice. He gives us the freedom of choice. But what we've got to recognize, the choices that we make, they have consequences, life and death. Right here, before we close, says this, consistent compromise weakens our character over time. And even though it may not show up publicly in our life right away, it opens the door to demonic strongholds. Church, listen to me. Consistent compromise. It weakens your character. You may look good on the outside. Everything looks good, but on the inside, you're falling apart. And what happens is, while we're playing around, dabbling with sin, compromising, we're being chained in the unseen world. We're being prisoned. That's what a stronghold is. It's a stronghold on your life. And can I tell you today, we don't have to stay bound. We don't have to stay called in compromise. God has broken me free from addictions. God has healed me of stuff that was generational. God has uh, delivered me from anger. I mean, I could just go on and go on of the compromise and the spiritual sickness and dis-ease in my life that God healed me from. And it all comes down to his kindness. We serve a kind God, amen? We serve such a kind God. Allow me to brag on him and I want you to prepare your hearts now in these few minutes as we get ready to take communion. Stay with me, lean in in these last few minutes. This is real important. The kindness of God. This is how kind he is. I'm gonna give you just a few things. That he's willing to call us out on compromise. The kindness of God is willing, that he's willing to confront me in a bad attitude in my selfishness. The kindness of God is willing to correct my consistent disobedience. The kindness of God that will shout from the mountaintop, stop, stop, son, stop, daughter. That's the kindness of God. That's the love of God. Hey, I'll say it to you like this. It's sometimes his kindness is flipping tables in our lives. We need him to flip the tables in our lives. The table representing compromise, just flipping it. And you know what he does? If we let him, he gets out a new table and he throws us, it's his surgical table. And he puts us on his surgical table and he says, I'm gonna get this poison out. I'm gonna, I'm gonna heal you from this. Come on, Jesus is a really good surgeon. He not only can heal us from sickness and disease, he can heal us from dis-ease in our hearts. He's that good of a surgeon. And boy, he's got microscopic laser surgery. He knows right where to go if you'll let him go there. He never misses with his surgery. There's never a mistake in his surgery. He throws us up on that surgical table as we allow him. And he says, when you get off this table, you're gonna be a different person. When you get off this table, you're gonna be healed. And this is what he says, don't go back. Don't go back. Stop. 
this sinning, repetitive cycle. Stop running in circles. Go forward in me. Listen to me. My brothers and my sisters in this room, listen to me. We can't even move forward without God's help. I can do nothing without him. I'll remain stuck trying to get out of it myself and go nowhere. But God, in his mercy, reaches down through the love of Jesus and his kindness. Church is his kindness that leads us to repentance. Look at this final verse. Don't you see, I underline it, Romans 2, 4. Don't you see how wonderfully kind, somebody say wonderfully kind. Don't you see how wonderfully kind, tolerant, and patient God is with you? Does this mean nothing to you? Can't you see that his kindness, somebody say kindness, is intended to turn you from your sin. Amen? Amen. We're going to take a moment now and we're going to prepare for communion. You should have the communion elements there. If you don't, uh, you can raise your hand and we have some ushers that will bring it to you. Thank you, God. Yeah, just keep your hand raised. We'll get to you as quick as we can. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. And here's what I'd like us to do. If at all possible, I would really ask and request no moving around during this time of communion. Communion is a holy time. It's a holy moment. It's a time of remembrance. It's also a time of reflection. It's a time of evaluation. And Paul tells us that as Christians, we should examine ourselves before we take of communion. I mean, honestly, guys, it's juice and a cracker put together here, but it represents the blood and the body of Jesus. And I don't know where you're at today in life, but God does. And I want to tell you, he loves you with all his heart. He loves us so much that he gave us his only son. May we never become numb to that. He gave us his only son. And his only son gave up his life and died so we could live for him. Not only live one day with him, but we could live on this earth for him. He died so we could live. And I want us to take just a few seconds in this moment. And I want us to be still. Let's get ourselves still before the Lord. And I want to encourage you. Don't let this moment pass. Just examine your heart. And if maybe you're caught in some things, you know what? Right now you can begin the process, the journey of freedom. Father, forgive me. I repent. Repentance is a change of mind and action. I was doing this, but God, I see that I'm wrong because you're always right. You've revealed this to me. God, I'm turning from the sin and I'm running after you and I'm running right into your arms. And you will never reject me. You will never kick me to the curb. He will always embrace us. It's his love that melts our hearts and heals us. Let's just take a few seconds here and just search our hearts. Right where you're at, just share with him your love. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, God. Thank you, Lord. We thank you for the blood that you shed. We thank you that we woke up this morning and mercy was there to greet us. Your mercies are new every morning. We thank you, God, for your forgivenesses, for your forgiveness of our sins. We thank you, God, that you can create in us a clean heart and restore unto us the joy of your salvation. We thank you that there is no addiction that you cannot break, no chain, no bondage that you cannot break us free from. No dis-ease in our soul that you cannot heal us from because of the blood of your son. It says in 1 Corinthians 11, verse 23, as we prepare to take communion, Paul says this, for I pass on to you what I received from the Lord himself. On the night when he was betrayed, 
the Lord Jesus took some bread and he gave thanks to God for it, just as we just did then. And he broke it in pieces and he said, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Go ahead and take an eat. Thank you, Lord. Then he took the cup of wine. After supper. Saying this cup is the new covenant. Man, I'm so thankful for the new covenant. This cup is the new covenant between God and his people. An agreement confirmed with my blood. Do this in remembrance of me as often as you drink it. Go ahead and take a drink. Thank you, Lord. Here's my prayer to us as we go into just a very short time of worship. Instead of running in circles, Listen to me, church. Let's run to the Father, the one who will never reject us, the one who will always love us through it, heal us up, set us free, and send us on. The one who is saying, come to me, come to me. That's the God we serve. That's the Father. No longer running in circles, no longer playing with addictions, no longer living in a lifestyle of compromise, but just taking it all to our Father. As we sing this song, a very familiar tune, a very familiar chorus, I wanna encourage you, let the words come from your heart. As Alvin and the team take us there, pray the words, don't just sing the words off the screen. Let the surgeon do his work. Run to him, the one who can heal us and set us free. Let's worship the Lord together.